back to the Unheard Words podcast. I'm really excited to see you guys all again this week, and I'm not going to really dilly-dally. Um, let's just jump right into it. I had a request to share my thoughts on the afterlife, which I thought would be really interesting to talk about. So I grew up in a very Catholic household, so my entire life has been rooted in God and afterlife and death, heaven and hell. The more interested I became in science as a teen, um, and, and then in my 20s, I've become more rooted in those beliefs, actually. Now, I, I do believe in evolution, and my family and I tend to take the Old Testament as more of moral teaching, since some of it's been scientifically proven and accurate, but we do also say that while the Bible is God's word, it was written and translated by man, so there's a potential for a few miscommunications. Um, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, if I'm completely butchering this. I could be making this all up. While I go to church every Sunday, I haven't been to Sunday school since like 8th grade, and I'm admittedly not brushed up on my Bible reading, so please forgive me if I'm spreading false information. Essentially, I believe that there's one God, and there's an afterlife. However, I think, and this might be me diverging from my religion a bit, but that God has appeared to different people in different religions, like he appeared as God to Christians, Yahweh to the Jewish, and Allah to Muslims. And it's my sincerest hope that um, when we die, we'll see God in that form that we grew up believing in. And recently, I've taken a new look at the afterlife. Um, due to my religion, I've never really been afraid of dying. It's, it's never been something that's necessarily terrified me. Uh, I believe that when we die, we'll meet all of our relatives and loved ones again in whatever form that is. I actually went through a really hard time with the passing of my grandmother when I was 16. She was such a saint of a woman without a malicious bone in her body. She was the type of person that only spread love and acceptance, acceptance to everyone around, and she was taken through ovarian cancer in a very slow and painful death. There was a lot of anger, hurt, and trauma that I compartmentalized. Um, and she wound up dying actually a month before my 16th birthday. Now to preface this story, um, I will say I've never had coherent dreams. I don't remember most of them and I tend to remember nightmares better and it's just a snippet. But actually on the night of my 16th birthday, I had a dream that I was sitting in my living room and across from me was my grandmother as I last remembered her, uh, which was bald, very small and frail, sickly looking and as she walked closer to me, she grew younger and taller and more healthy, back to the way I remembered her pre-cancer. And she looked really happy. She told me happy birthday and that she loved me and the dream ended and another started as if the original dream was interrupted. And that kind of solidified me back into my religion. Um, to this day, it remains the only dream I remember vividly and I haven't had a coherent dream since. I say all this because that experience has further rooted me in the mindset that the afterlife does exist and um, that there is a God. Now, he may be operating like Nanny McPhee, only coming when he's needed and not wanted to, but um, I firmly believe in his existence. And I recently had another thought as well. I wrote a poem on it, actually, that you may hear later on, but it came from my father saying that humans' minds can't comprehend forever and therefore can't comprehend God, 
when you die, it's for eternity. Um, and that's something he said a lot, and that stuck with me, that he said it a lot. And that got me thinking, which may be a very dangerous thing to do. Um, but if humans have been around for a small portion of time compared to the universe, and our lives are no more than a blink, then who's to say that time operates the same when we die? Uh, hang with me here, because I tried to explain it to my mother, my newfound theory, and she looked at me like I was insane. But if our lifespans are no more than a blink in the face of eternity, then maybe when we die, our souls start operating on the eternity timeline, meaning that our loved ones who left before us still have never experienced a moment without us, because from their death until the end of your life, they're still, like, blinking in this eternity timeline and by the time they've finished with their blink their family and friends are beside them and they're meeting new family members because um in that one blink of time which felt like no time at all to them it spanned our entire lives and existence and the existence of like our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren um but maybe i'm just crazy <laughs> That's a theory that I really like, though, because I often wonder if my grandmother is lonely, even though I know she's not, but for some reason that thought kind of settles me knowing she's not waiting, because no time has passed. Again, I could totally be going crazy. I'm sure that's a theory that's already been said before, so if it has, email me about it, because I want to know. I want to know more. I haven't heard it yet, but humans are smart enough that I'm sure there's a dissertation written about it in some philo uh, philosopher's office. Also, I apologize if you guys hear me saying, um, it's because I'm trying to formulate my sentences. It's a really bad habit that I have. My mind tends to run a lot faster than my mouth does, so I'll stutter or I'll say, um, and it's something that I'm trying to be more conscious about, but I caught myself saying it as I was trying to explain what my thoughts on the afterlife and death were. And I would like to say that I don't view death as something that's negative. It's just, it just is. And it's going to happen. I, I don't think there's a reason to fear it because it's a necessity to life, right? You have life, you have death, and it's, it's always there. So why dread on it? Why spend your time worrying about it? It's going to happen when it happens regardless of what you do or regardless of the amount of worry that you have. So why spend your time worrying and waiting for it instead of living the life that you have to the full ex extent and allowing yourself to be happy and feel happiness without that weight on your shoulders? Because it's, it's going to be, you're going to be there and then you're going to be gone. And that's, that's it. It's, it's not going to be a painfully long process, I hope. Um... But, I mean, again, I don't know, but I just don't feel like it's a negative thing. And I don't think it's anything to worry about. Your conversations with the Grim Reaper, it seems, are becoming more intimate, whether it's in line at the grocery store or over your daily cup of tea. In a strange way, you found it only comforting when the Grim Reaper answered cryptically. He rarely offered any useful information, often ending the conversation with, you'll know in time. The Grim Reaper was offering you ignorance, which, in light of the ever-growing internet, diminished nearly as quickly as you were able to read. Still, there was a greed that beckoned inside you to pry a little harder, 
to see what you could find about the other side, though the reaper would most likely not answer any of your questions simply because it did not know the answer to them. I've never been to the other side, the grim reaper admitted once, when you were sitting beachside, an ocean gently crashing against the sand. I can only catch a glimpse and a feeling of that far-off land. Death guards it quite well, you know. Can you tell me what the feeling is, at least? The Grim Reaper was quiet a moment. Eyes focused on the horizon, then said, It's holistic peace. Thank you once again for everyone who sent in questions this week. I love reading them, and you guys give me content for this podcast, so I really appreciate it. The first question I'm going to start with is, do you write considerably more than you post? And the answer is yes. I post on TikTok once a day, but I typically write three to five poems a day, and I write about a page or two um, for a manuscript that I'm working on. My writing style in general is really chaotic. I write a lot of poems. It's it's all um, within the the flow of consciousness, so I just sit down and write an entire poem from start to finish unless something like disrupts my thoughts and I can't get back on that train. Um, I believe Virginia Woolf writes the same way as well, and I think that's where I got the idea from a while ago, but uh, I just put down all my thoughts on a page, and that typically winds up being the poem, and the rhymes just kind of come to me as I go along. I don't really look up rhymes often. Typically, if there's a certain line that I want, I'll find a word that rhymes with it, and then I'll kind of finagle it into the line above it or below it, but for the most part, it's not really an issue. Um, I mean, my rhymes are typically not that elaborate or intricate and that might be because um, my editing process is a little chaotic as well but I'll get into that in a minute. I as in, in, in terms of how I get inspired it's a lot of random thoughts or images or songs that I'll listen to and it'll give me an image or it'll give me words a line of poetry and I'll have to write it down and then the poem kind of sprawls out from that one line and if I don't write immediately what I'm thinking, I'll lose it, which tends to happen at the most inconvenient times. Um, so when I get these thoughts or these lines in my head, it normally results in me scribbling down poems in the middle of my classes and like the margins of my notebooks, which is not good because I'm supposed to be taking notes in class and I'll just be writing poems in the middle of my law classes. But they're written from start to finish in one setting, and they take two to five minutes to write per poem. Um, like I said, it's kind of the stream of consciousness. I just think, and then I, I write it, and typically the poems that I post are that way. Uh, they don't they don't take... There's, there's not an extensive editing process. I kind of just make sure everything's spelled correctly, and if there's a certain line that I don't like, then I'll rework it. But other than that... It doesn't go through multiple rounds of editing. It's basically what is in my head on paper, just spelled correctly and grammatically correct. And typically I'm satisfied with one of my poems if I think it conveys what I'd like it to. I find that words can be very constricting to ideas, and that's actually one thing that I learned in a psychology class when I was in college. 
one of my professors said something that was really profound to me, or at least that I found profound, which was words are like boxes that you put your thoughts in. And a lot of the times you have to fit your thoughts into a box and it doesn't really work. So like the perfect example is when you're trying to describe feelings, like you can say I'm feeling in love, but like there's a different love for different people or family members, but also the word doesn't just encapsulate the entirety of the feeling and it doesn't feel strong enough for the feeling sometimes or it doesn't feel like the right word and that's why I tend to have to rewrite and reimagine ideas and sometimes scrap it all together in like similes and metaphors because if I don't then it doesn't come off the way that I want it to like I can't just put a word I have to I have to put a descriptor after it or I have to make that word into a simile or find an image because that's how I, that's how I write I like image write where I if I can imagine it in my head if I can see it in my head then I know that I'm writing a good poem but if I can't and it just feels like I'm writing words then I'm not going to be as satisfied with that poem and that's how I feel like with a lot of the poems that I read as well not just write but if a poem has strong imagery that I can see then I'm going to gravitate towards those poems more so than ones that are kind of just words and they're like eloquently written and, and I recognize that they're beautiful and if someone spent a lot of time making sure they were in the correct order and that they sounded the way that they wanted them to sound but it's just not the type of writing that I gravitate towards. As for when I do my work, there's not a particular time that I do my work. It'll happen throughout the day. Um, and more annoyingly, when it happens at night, I'll be sitting up like, no, I don't want to ponder my existence right now. It's 3 a.m. I need to be up in three hours. Mind, please let me sleep. Which I guess is a product of an overactive imagination, which I'm sure you all can relate to. But that's definitely an issue. Um, with my conversations with the Grim Reaper, I've been recording the dates and times I've written each one of those poems, and I find that I'm very sporadic throughout the day. I'll have poems that are written at 8 a.m., I'll have poems that are written at 10 p.m., 11 p.m., uh, one's written at 1 or 2 p.m. or 10 a.m., and it's just me being inspired by life, essentially. You know, when inspiration happens, it happens, and I'll, I'll jot it down. If I don't have something to write down, I'll, I'll put it in my phone. I can't really do anything when I'm in the car, so any of those thoughts kind of get lost. But if I'm in class, I'll write it down in the margins of my notebook. Um, I, I typically try to always carry a notebook so that I have something to write in at all times, and that's kind of my chaotic writing process for the TikToks that I post every day. And, and don't get me wrong, sometimes I'll write like three or five in a day and I'll save, I'll, I'll say that two, I like two of them and I, I'll scrap the other three, but I like two of them. So I'll post one that day and then I'll save one for if there's ever a day I'm like not feeling motivated to the bat, not the right word, but I'm not feeling inspired. That That's more what I was trying to convey. But if I'm not feeling inspired, then I'll post the TikTok of the video that I had, or the, the poem that I had written a while ago. And I'll use that for that day's TikTok so that I'm, I'm still posting every single day. But 
I'm also able to sometimes take those day breaks where I can kind of recharge my brain and I don't have to stress because I can't stress, right? Um, if I, if I feel stressed or I feel like I need to write something, it never comes out good unless it's like a college essay, then like stress writing is my strong point. But if it's creative writing and it's not coming from my imagination, but coming from a need for a product, then it becomes bad writing for me. Some people can write under stress. I am not one of them. It's just not where my imagination goes. So I feel like it gets confined and locked up. But that's my overall writing process. Very chaotic. Not really set on a schedule. There are some people who are like up at 3am writing every day for two hours. And that's how they work. And I think that that is so interesting. And I'm so jealous of the people who are able to do that. Because I am not... <laughs> I wish I was. I wish I could stick to a schedule and write at the same time every day, but for some reason that's just not how my mind works. It just wants to work at different times of the day when it's inspired by different things. So if you are one of those people, I'm very jealous of you. I know I've had a few professors that were all like that, where they're like, yeah, I'll get up before class starts, like four hours before class starts, and I'll just spend that time writing. And I, I thought, I think that's so diligent and it works so well for people. So I just say, find your process. And as long as you're writing every day, I don't think it necessarily matters how much you write, as long as what you're writing is good. I know that there's some people who are like, you should be writing five pages every day, five poems every day. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad, but I think that quality is more important than quantity when it comes to writing. So and, and I think that's the same way with art, right? You don't want to put out a product you're not proud of. So just make sure that you're, you're doing it every day. But even if it's just like a line, then it's just a line. And that's all you have for that day. And that's okay. Because a creative process means that there's no correct way to do it or incorrect way. There's no boundary. No one has rules about this. There's no set way to be a great writer besides reading and writing. If there's more than that, um, someone please let me know because <laughs> I'd like to know. I've tried to read a lot of books on how to write and how to write creatively and what inspires other authors. And I've just found that for everyone, it's different and it's individualized. So you just have, kind of have to trial around with a bunch of different methods and see which one works best for you and is more comfortable for you. And that's my entire writing process. So the second question I received for this podcast today was, why do we strive for perfection when it's unobtainable? This is a question without an answer, but please bear with me as I speculate. I think perfection can be divided into two categories. Um, one would be the physical manifestation, and the second would be the mental manifestation of perfection. I think perfection as a whole and the need for perfection or to be perfect it's a disease within our society, and we have a lot of reinforcers, especially if you live in a capitalistic society like the United States, Canada, the UK, or really any place that depends on capitalism as the main economic system in the country. Um, because there are certain industries within our society that profit off of perfection or the idea that it's obtainable, like the entirety of the makeup and beauty industry and the majority of the fashion industry. Now, of course, you have small percentages of artists who are creating art, but majority of those industries invest in the idea that perfection is obtainable, 
and create more things for people to be insecure about so they can make money. Take, for instance, the beauty standards in South Korea, where plastic surgery thrives because the idea of the perfect face that doesn't actually exist controls society. So that plastic surgery has become one of the largest industries in the country. There's these ideas that are so ingrained in our society physically that there's not a single person who escapes it, um, and that's pertaining to men and women. There's also this idea that if you can be perfect, more people will like you. And again, I think a lot of that stems from capitalism, which, don't get me wrong, has its own benefits, but for this argument of perfection, it sheds a negative light in the economic standpoint. And I also think the outward projection we want the world to see, often we only want to show the good. So when we look at influencers or actors or actresses or singers, these really famous people in high society, they only show off perfection. So we subliminably get this idea that if we want to be what society deems as successful, then we have to obtain perfection. And only through that success can others view you in the way that you may view Grace Kelly or Leonardo DiCaprio, depending on if you view them as perfect public figures or not. But society also tells you it's not enough just to be physically beautiful, right? Though it's a privilege in its own way, you also have to be inwardly perfect. You have to be well-read, up-to-date on trending topics, intelligent but not cocky, funny but not obnoxious, fun but not too free-spirited. So we spend all of our time trying to decide and become this first-ever perfect person, because then we'll be beautiful to all or intelligent in everyone's eyes, and the reason why it becomes so incredibly unobtainable is because everyone has a different opinion of what is attractive and what is academically intelligent, but you can't tick all of society's boxes because it's ever-changing and designed to ensure that nobody will. And there's also this part of us that believes if we obtain perfection, then we'll be happy, and then someone will love us, and then the pain will alleviate because we've become indoctrined in many ways to believe that the only way possible to obtain those things is by external factors. And because it's easier to look outward rather than inward, and it's easier to fight physical monsters more so than mental monsters, we start to view perfection as physical. And in turn, it's kind of ironic, but it morphs like a parasite and it becomes internal, right? And then it starts eating away at you. There's this very deep need to be special. And I think that plays a lot into this as well. I think for a lot of people, they see being that first to obtain whatever the perfect form is, is them trying to become unique when it's actually the opposite. Most unique factors don't derive from perfection, but imperfection, like Marilyn Monroe's mole. This well-known and infamous beauty mark that only became beautiful when it first was an imperfection and then society decided it was beautiful. And because everyone wants to be good at something and everyone wants to leave their mark, they try chasing perfection, which just is a cycle. 
that you can't really break from, and it's difficult to break from. And that's not to say I'm advocating for giving up or settling. I think it's vitally important to forgive ourselves, but learning how to forgive ourselves when we make mistakes and grow from them is also vital to the improvement of ourselves, and it's also a radical departure from perfectionism, because it requires us accepting that you made a mistake and recognizing that you aren't perfect. So I hope that answers all of your questions. I love getting them. If you'd like to send in more questions for next week's podcast or give me feedback, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at unheardwordspoetry at gmail.com. You can catch me on my social media if you want even more. Uh, My TikTok is unheardwords. My Instagram is unheardwords. And I think that's all I'm on social media for. Yes. I believe that's it. See, I don't even know what my own social medias are. (laughs) Um, Have a great week, everyone, and I hope to see you all next week. Bye.